with me, if you will, to Hosea chapter 1 as we begin our journey through the Minor Prophets. They're not minor because they're less important. They are minor because they are more or less in volume. <laughs> they're not quite as long as books, and, um, but they're power-packed. 14 chapters in Hosea. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and the children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomar, the son of Deblibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in a while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass in that day that it will break the bow, the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name Lo-Ramuha, Ruhama, and I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I utterly will take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by the bow, nor by the sword or the battle, by horses or horsemen. Now when she had weaned Lahorumah, she conceived and bore a son, and God said, Call his name Lo-Amini, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there it shall be said, You are the sons of the living God. Then the children of Israel and the children of Judah shall be gathered together to appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. And say to your brethren, my people and to your sisters, mercy is shown. Interesting first opening chapter, but let's look at a little of the lay a little groundwork here. Hosea, his name uh, means literally it means uh, he has delivered or salvation, and of course we know that it's part of the derivative that produces the names. Uh, Joshua and, and Yahweh is a part of that as well. And, of course, most of those uh, include salvation. So uh, Hosea uh, ministered for 41 years to the northern tribes, essentially in the larger tribe of Ephraim. Um, he, 
it's questionable why God would ask him to marry a harlot. Uh, they believe that she was a, a temple prostitute. Um, many of the scholars lean that in that direction. But it's the message of the book that he has for the nation that's important. And it, in simple terms, uh, his message to these people for 40 years was Yahweh hates sin. Yahweh will judge sin. And Yahweh is love, is faithful, and loyal. And, you know, you find out here, as we read through the first chapter, he's judging them, and they're no longer his people. And then we read near the end of the chapter that he takes them back. They shall be multiplied. So we see this mercy, no mercy, then mercy. So God has his ways. But Hosean so often was is with the prophets. They're unique individuals. They're different than the commoner of the day. Uh, they were called to do weird things, and, and Hosea fits into that category. We know Ezekiel was called to lay on one side for so many days and on another side for so many days. These guys were just you know, called to do illustrative things for the nation so that their lives and their ministries communicated something to the people. And so in this case, his life and his marriage relationship is going to be an illustration of Israel's relationship with Yahweh. And that's, I don't think that's an illustration I would want to be part of, personally. <laughs> that would be tough. So outwardly, the nation was married to God, but inwardly they were divorced, and they had given themselves over to idol worship, as Gomer was unfaithful to him. Now this is also an interesting time, because this is Jeroboam II. Remember, Jeroboam number one was the first guy that started the whole calf worship and set up the whole altar and kept... Ten tribes from going up to Jerusalem because he was worried about, you know, gosh, if they go up there, then they're going to reunite with their brethren, and that means the end of my life and the end of my family. So we can't have that list up our own little sacrificial system, and in that begin the idolatrous practice in the northern ten tribes of calf worship. Well, this is Jeroboam the second, and during his time, the country actually prospered outwardly. There was peace, there was stability, and partly because of what was going on, this is like the eight, beginning of the 8th century. Uh, there were some vacuums in the areas around them. Assyria was not, they were having their own issues, and they were kind of down, and, and, and the countries that normally would seek to invade and cause disruption and try to steal from the Israelites were all having their own issues. So during that time, in that little vacuum that was created by the you know, dis, uh, destabling of the area, they actually prospered, which is kind of like one of the things that I have noticed through history is right before judgment strikes a nation, so often they are prospered. They're, it's, like, it's like what we do to, to cattle or livestock be, <laughs> before we butcher them. We fatten them up and we get them ready for slaughter. And, you know, I hate to put it that way, but that sort of seems to be a, a, a common uh, theme throughout history. So some of the best years really were this time uh, during Hosea's ministry of 40 years uh, to the people. So it's interesting, um, Jonah, which we think, you know, he's just isolated in the book of Jonah, but actually if you'll turn to 2 Kings uh, 14.25, he prophesied. And so, you know, Second Kings fourteen twenty five. 
Well, let's just start at the beginning there at 23. It says, In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel to sin. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord of the God of Israel, which was spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath, Hefer. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel was very bitter, and whether bond or free, there was no helper for Israel. And the Lord did not say that he would not blot the name of Israel out from under heaven, but he, he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam and the son of Joash. So you can kind of get a picture of what idolatry had led them to. And this is, again, a criminal offense for any Jewish person in the nation of Israel to worship false gods. You, you can commit a lot of different sins, but if you start worshiping false idols and you stop worshiping him, you are cut off and you're going to suffer tremendous judgment. It's like, it's kind of, you know, like submission. You know, if you think about submission in and of itself, it's like an umbrella. If you're, if you're outside in the rain, the rain's coming straight down and you have an umbrella, it's like, it's not a problem. You're under the umbrella, you're, you're, you're submitting to this protection. And all around you, it's raining cats and dogs, but you're nice and dry. You get out from under that authority of the Lord and that loyalty and what the protection that he provides, and you're going to get hammered by the enemy. And this is exactly what was happening. We had a country that is, you know, as he said there, they're a land that had committed a, a, a harlotry. And this is what it is. People who, who serve the Lord are spiritual harlots, and they're serving false gods. It's spiritual fornication, if you will. And we know that that's just a deadly sin. Now, before we get too far away from that, it's kind of good, again, to keep this historical context because I, I just, you, you seem to, you know, it becomes a, a marker within your mind of where this guy was at in time. Uh, we're all probably a little more famous or more um, acquainted with the, the kings of uh, Judah than we are the kings of uh, Israel, because all the kings in Israel were evil. I mean, there wasn't a good guy in the bunch. They're just all downward because they're worshiping false gods. But that's not the case in Judah. And so uh, Hosea's ministry, his contemporaries, so he, he really, if, if you look at the map, you know, where Ephraim's at, he's not all that far from Jerusalem. He, can, he could fellowship with these other guys. His contemporaries were Amos, Jonah, Isaiah, and Micah. And the kings were Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So there were some really cool things going on in, in Judah, and some of the people of Israel actually slipped up to Jerusalem. They were still in the midst of all this corruption that was in the, the northern ten tribes. There were a few people that, you know what? We're not doing this. We're going to stay loyal to Yahweh. God always has a few people. And maybe they just upped and moved, you know. They left the left coast and went to the right coast, you know. <laughs> Sounds like other people, you know. <laughs> but you can uh, look this up in uh, Second Chronicles 26. 
27, 28, and 29 cover Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And then, of course, we'll get into the other prophets a little bit later on as we progress. But I'm going to move, try to move at a quicker pace through these. Uh, it won't be an in-depth study, but we'll hit the high points as we make it through these uh, uh, minor prophets. But Yahweh began to speak, and I think this is so important. One of the phrases in, in the Old Testament when it comes to certain individuals that, that really stick out to as you read through is, and the Lord was with them. Now, it kind of really starts to become real pregnant and pronounced with Joseph. You know, he gets into, sold out by his brothers into slavery, but the Lord was with Joseph. And then he goes down into Egypt and he gets sold into Potiphar as a slave. And, and the Lord was with Joseph. And then he gets betrayed by the wife and gets thrown in prison. And, but the Lord was with Joseph. That is a powerful phrase. And that is the greatest thing that can be said of any servant of God. You know what? God is with that person. And that's what should be said of each one of us. The Lord, you know what? We know nobody's perfect, but God is with that person. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. You want that trademark. And, and no less important is the one that's used here. The Lord began to speak by Hosea. When I speak, I want, everybody has an opinion about things, but really our opinions are really not actually that important. What matters is what God says. And, and we, when we should have this fear and trembling when we come to the Word of God. I had this conversation with uh, one of my sons uh, just recently. I said, you know, I'm really intimidated by the Bible. When I come to the Bible, it's like, you know, not only am I intimidated as I just read it devotionally, like, because I don't understand a lot of it initially. It's like, what does that mean? It is one of the most intellectually challenging things, you know, because what is being said, it's just, a lot of things are just not laying right there. You know, it's not low-hanging fruit. You've got to kind of, it's more like digging for gold. You've got to break out the tools and you've got to, look this up and study that. That's why I always like, even in my devotions, I have a little dictionary. I know words, what they mean, but sometimes I want to look them up and what else can it mean besides that? And then I'll do the same thing with the original languages. Look up the words. What does that really mean? You know, and just try to piece it together. Because it's what God says. When God begins to speak, I want to hear. I mean, Jesus told us over and over, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I mean, there's nothing more important in my life than, than to hear what God is saying. And, and if, I'm, if God is really saying it, then I want to apply it. And, and like in this case, I think I would really want confirmation if, <laughs> if God wanted me to do something like this. Go marry a harlot. Wait. Hold, hold on. Can we get some... Could you say that again? <laughs> you know? I'm not sure I'm tracking with you, Lord. I mean, I really like this other girl, and she's a virgin, and, you know, the priesthood, we take virgins, and, you know, that I get, really? You know, I would really have, you know, second thoughts. But, you know, when God speaks and he confirms, there's, the doubts go away. I know that I know that I know. And he, uh, this is the case here. He had been chosen uh, to preach uh, and communicate the word of God. Now notice it says he began to speak. He didn't tell him everything 
that he was going to save for 40 years in the first week of his calling. It's a, there's a progressive nature to our ministries. You know, we grow and mature as we serve the Lord, and he's so patient and kind in developing us. And, but there has to be that abiding in us, and we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit here, how important that is uh, to abide and to, you know, as I need it, it comes. In fact, you know, as you, those of us who preach and teach, you know, when you're preparing a sermon, sometimes you get stuck and it's kind of, but as I pull, it comes. And that's the way the word, you know, he just doesn't, you know, I've got to pick up the pencil or the pen and paper and I've got to start moving it. I've got to start thinking. I've got to give myself to it. And as I do that, then it comes. And so, so often there's a process. Well, just dump it. You know, I want to like, you know, plug in the jump drive and download it. And I got it. I can do it. Let's do it. And it doesn't work that way. And this is another thing when it comes to ministering the word. I always separate my devotional life from my my sermon preparation. That does not, that is not my devotional life and I will not make it that. I do get blessed by it, but I'm not looking to my sermons as my daily food. It's not the manna that I'm looking for. It might be steak and potatoes and, you know, good stuff. And I love that, but I'm still sticking to the daily manna because that's my, that's where I let as I meditate and I let the Word of God just mull over my heart and my mind, that's, I'm connecting with God, and that is critical. And then I actually, if I'm faithful to that, I have found that the sermon preparation just flows. It becomes so much easier uh, to put a sermon together when I'm abiding in um, the Word, and the Word is in me. And You cannot separate being filled with the Holy Spirit and being filled with the word. It is one and the same. They are God. You don't minister in a vacuum. You have to give the Holy Spirit something to work with. And so we see that, you know, the Lord began to speak and then the Lord said. And so these are important uh, things here. And then he tells him to take this wife, you know, children of harlotry. Zenunim uh, is the word for. Uh, prostitution here, or harlotry, um, which is you know extramarital sex for payment. It's it's adultery. It's it's prostitution. It's it's heinous, criminal. You know this is this is the thing about certain sins. Not all you know all sin is sin, and it's all black. Certain sins have have bigger stingers than others, and sexual sins are not only sins of, of the flesh. <clears throat> but they are also sins of the Spirit. This is why Paul <clears throat> was so straightforward in his admonition to the Corinthians when he said, Know ye not, he who joins himself to a heart becomes one flesh. So in the spiritual realm, which we don't see with our physical eyes, when a person is fornicating, <clears throat> their spirits are uniting. They're, they're telling the spirit world that they're one. And you can imagine how confusing that is when they are to, you know, people of the same sex. It is just confusion and, and, and darkness and demonic. But this is why, um, again, when you bring that into 
the spiritual realm as far as our commitment to the Lord and departing from the Lord and worshiping these false gods, the person who is joining their spirit to this demonic or fallen angel, that's what you do when you worship. You, You are giving yourself to that. It's worthy of praise. It's worthy of my adoration. And that's just wrong. There's only one person worthy of praise and adoration, and that's Yahweh, the Creator. So this is what's going on in the nation. Uh, we look at uh, Gomar. Her name means uh, um, a burning coal. <laughs> Fitting, I think. It's not Gomer Pyle. No, not about Gomer. That's, uh, dum-dum, or whatever, he, you know, what his personification would have been. But literally, it means a burning coal, and you think, I mean, she burned him, wouldn't you say? She burned Hosea several times, you know, thinking maybe that she would straighten up, and maybe that's what he thought. He had a, you know, a reclamation project going on. I'm going to marry this girl, and she's going to repent, and she's going to serve the Lord. You know, it's in our day, in our day. It's called evangelistic dating. I'm going to change. You know, I'm going to if I marry this guy, I can change him. If I marry this gal, I can change her. You know, I'm going to alter Walter at the altar or after the altar. You know, you're not going to. That doesn't work that way. Um, but regardless, it doesn't appear anywhere that she repented, at least initially with the first three children here. The daughter of uh, the Bleum, um daughter of grape cakes. <laughs> I, some of these definitions are funny to me, uh, or to make a make into a clump. Um, so anyway, uh, they're giving themselves to whoredom, and and this is the idea of, uh, behind where she's from and who she's from. Jezreel uh, is a son that was born first, and it he represented what God was going to do to the Israel. God will scatter. That is what his name means, or God sows, and so. Jezreel actually became the valley where Jehu, who was anointed by Elijah to overthrow Ahaz and all, which is really, if you go back to the time of Elijah, is when Amri, who was an evil king, and he started a dynasty in chapter, this would be 1 Kings 16. And so by the time we get to Second uh, Kings nine and ten, um, they are completely corrupt, and 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 they're um, and God's going to judge through Jehu in that valley of Jezreel, and so his children became a prophetic message. Hosea's children became a prophetic message to the nation. There's going to be bloodshed. There's going to be judgment because you have forsaken the Lord. It is going to be the end of the ten tribes and they were not prepared for what was coming and I'm telling you when I read this and I contemplate unless we repent of it as a nation we're, go- we're not prepared for judgment there's going to be a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth I'm afraid it's because we have broken off our covenant we, we dedicated our forefathers dedicated this nation to the Lord and that the nation, as far as God is concerned, still belongs to Him, and He's gonna He's gonna spank, He's gonna spank us, 
until we, we turn. And I hope we do. But here, uh, they had broken off their covenant of marriage. They're unfaithful to God. And he said, okay, fine. Then I'm breaking off my relationship. I'm no longer going to be your husband. We're done. And um, he's going to allow them to go into exile. And then, the, as we know, that what happened to the ten tribes? They were scattered. And so this is, again, lo Ruhama, the daughter, no mercy, not pitied. God is going to deal with them without compassion. Now, you know, when we see, oh, my little grandson just learning, learned how to walk the last couple of weeks. <laughs> you know, they're just not too steady, and they, they tip over. Well, he tipped over backwards and bonked his head in the back. It was a melon whacker. Ooh, it hurt. And just, now, as a parent, a mom, a dad, you just can't, all you can do is hold them. You can't fix that, owie. It just hurts too much. But it just kills you because, you know, you know, you got a 10-second void of anything because <laughs> he's going to, and when he cries, it's going to be around, right? Almost one of those. You have compassion as a parent. You just, oh, you hurt with them. And God is saying in this situation, no mercy, no compassion. You made your bed, you are going to sleep in it, and I am done with you. That is a very pitiful situation. But that is the message that he's bringing to them. And no wonder they didn't like him too much. But then, as soon as it's announced, you get verse 10. Yet the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea. God wasn't really too happy with them being divided, was he? I mean, that whole selfishness, you know, Solomon's son would have just listened to the older guys, you know, but then if you read on a little further, it says what happened was of the Lord that he let it happen, the, the divided nation, north and south type of thing. Well, he's going to let that run its course, but in time, he's going to reunite. You know, Ezekiel has the two sticks becoming one, and this is what God is speaking of through his servant. And so could you imagine if you are re listening to Hosea preach this, and it probably got obviously got put into to a scroll, and they're reading it, could you imagine them trying to jam this into their generation? Oh, this the eighth century, this is all gonna knock get knocked out in eight you know, their their lifetimes. And see this is the problem with modern day prophecy ministries. You know how many times I've heard that the nations are aligned right now, Ezekiel 38, 39, Russia's coming down. I've heard that my whole life as a Christian. You know, and they're still aligned apparently. And they're still coming down. I could probably die and they'd still be aligned and still be coming down. So we had to be careful you know, we used to hear this thing, you know, you need to be reading your newspaper here and your Bible here. And, you know, I don't know if that's really solid. You know what, when it comes to prophecy, it's usually 2020 hindsight is perfect. Oh, that's 
what it means. That's what God was intending to do. And this is one of those. You know, this hasn't actually completely happened in its totality yet, actually. I mean, he's going to restore them, and it will be really pretty cool during the millennial. And there's going to be a lot of Jewish people get, you know, procreated during the millennial reign. It's going to be going to be a lot of them and you know the sand of the sea type measurement type so the future restoration is coming for Israel and they'll be called the people of Yahweh and and then instead of having no mercy instead of having no compassion God's faithful love again the three main things God hates sin he will judge sin but he has faithful love and he's merciful and so this is uh, how Hosea uh, begins his message to um, the people. So I want you to turn to Second Chronicles 27, I think. Here, let me look here. Twenty-six. And, and, you know, you got to, you know, not that we haven't had anything completely unappliable to our lives tonight because we have, but Uzziah is really an interesting king. And in chapter Second Chronicles 26, 5, verse 5, he sought the God, he sought God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding and visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Then, verse 16, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. You know, this these these are the kind of verses that you take to heart. One of the things I have in my heart is I realize that I am a man, of, that I have a fallen nature, and I am one stupid move away from losing everything that I've worked a lifetime to obtain and, and be blessed by. I could lose it. With one stupid move, I could lose it all. That is the attitude you have to. I'm not afraid of that. that I'm not. A, I don't have a fear of that happening, but I realize the consequences of sin. You know, guys think he can live loose and fast, and it won't bother me. And we can, you know, you you just you got to be careful what doors you open, what doors you go through. Sometimes there's a, there's there's no coming back through that. There's damage, irreparable damage at times. I think of the guys that have great works of God touching thousands of people, not even in ministry anymore. I don't even know if they're walking with God. And it's because you get lifted up and you, 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 you stop seeking God. You know, you got to stay... In the vine, you gotta abide 
in the vine. I can't go one day without the Word of God. I can't go one day without having a conversation with my Heavenly Father. I am a dead man walking, you know, type of thing. And I want to, you know, want the flesh to be continually crucified. So, anyway, just... Uh, I think it's so vitally important that we pick up some of these things as you read through uh, the prophets. You know, go back and and, and pull, put, tie things together. And, and it's you know, um, we're going to see where later on Zechariah here is a great man of God, a priest, who his daughter marries one of the prophets. You know, it's just it just I just find those little nuggets, and I think, oh, that's so cool, <laughs> how God ties lives together. And, um, you know, it's beautiful. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And as we take the time to lift our hearts together over the things that are going on in our church and our lives, we ask, Lord, that you'd bless us and show us how to pray. We've uh, got so many things that are on our hearts. There's things that we're contemplating that we want to do. We want to be led by your spirit. We want to make a an impact, Lord, in the community. And Lord, we just ask that you would prepare the community for the work that you want to do here. We just thank you that we get to be part of your plan, Lord. So bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen.